from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, Editor-in-Chief of Green Entrepreneur. Delighted to have as my guest today, Dr. Shonda Macias, who is the CEO of Alera Holistic Healthcare, which is a medical marijuana cultivator and processor for the state of Louisiana. Dr. Macias educates women entrepreneurs and patients through her outreach platform as the chairwoman of the Board of Managers and CEO for Women Grow. And Dr. Macias is the vice chair of the National Cannabis Roundtable, NCR, dedicated to promoting common sense federal legislation, tax equity, and financial services reform. She has served on the board of directors for the Minority Cannabis Business Association, which is focused on business development for communities adversely impacted by the war on drugs. Dr. Macias, thank you so much for joining us. It is my pleasure to be here. It's just exciting to be a part of this cannabis industry as it continues to grow and We learn good lessons, hard lessons, and everything else involved. So tell us what Alera Holistic Healthcare does. Oh, wow. So I'm so excited to be the CEO of Alera Holistic Healthcare. We provide medicine to the state of Louisiana. So our products are named IO, that's our THC derived product. And what's really imperative about that is that they have only been on the market recently to grow the program here. So we're really excited to have partnered with Southern University to develop unique products to bring to the marketplace. So IO does have a really interesting meaning. In Yoruba, it means joy. And what we wanted to do for our patient base is to restore that joy that after a healthcare crisis, that they can have a better quality of life again. That's wonderful. So you provide medical marijuana for Louisiana patients. What is, for, to fill us in for those of us who don't live in Louisiana, what is the legal situation with, legal, with marijuana in regard to uh, legalization in that state? Well, very interesting. So um, our partnership with the Southern University, which is a historically black college and university, um, started about a year and some change ago. What was interesting about the program in Louisiana, it was really restrictive. And then literally less than a month ago, we were able to change legislation to reflect some of the other markets that I came from previously. So I've been providing medicine to patients for about, well, for many years now, with my National Holistic Healing Center in Washington, D.C. We started operations there in 2015, but before that, it was part of the industry in different ways. So what we learned is that we needed a true open marketplace so patients could have um, safe access to medicine. So what we did in our last legislative play was supported our representatives here to introduce a bill for any doctor to recommend for any condition or any ailment for any person in the state of Louisiana, medical marijuana, and to be able to use telemedicine and delivery along with that. And all of the above was approved. And so starting August 1, we're really looking forward to being able to give medicine with a pretty open market conditions in the state now. 
so um, I was just grateful to be able to take my learning and education from another jurisdiction and bring it down here so patients can have that safe access. So how many rows have been given license in Louisiana? Is it very, is it very limited? It's a diopoly. So right now, Southern University has a license and LSU has a license. So we both work together in serving patients and we have nine dispensaries. Now, what I need to tell you is that in Louisiana, they're not called dispensaries. They're actually called pharmacies. And the pharmacists can dispense medicine to patients. That's great. Are they spelled pharmacy, F-A-R-M? I see that done a lot. I, that's a good one. <laughs> I see that done a lot in the cannabis space. I just wondered. But I mean, it's actually very, I mean, it's smart because it is farm. It is farmed good. It's not, it's a different, you think of pharmacy, you think of, you know, the drug industry, but this is different. This is plant-based medicine. So tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into cannabis in, in, in the first place. Well, it was a very interesting story. So I myself went to a historically black college and university. I went to Howard University and in undergrad, I studied biology. So it was just a broad scope of plant-based um, education, as well as on the organizational or, I'm going to say, on the living side of it with plant biology and animal biology. And then I decided to focus my intentions more on the cellular molecular level. And so I pivoted into cancer research. So my first line of cancer research was in the later part of my undergraduate degree, where I looked at breast cancer, the BRCA1 gene for breast cancer on women. And then what I realized in my studies was that there was also um, prostate cancer that impacted African-American males at a higher ratio than it did any other population. So I decided to focus on those studies for my graduate degree. And my degrees in learning through all that education, that everything kind of spiraled back to different unique alternate therapies. And one of those was learning about medical marijuana. When I decided to kind of venture into that to do all the background and the research and to see if I could bring it to the forefront of my thesis, my advisor at that time was really particular and said, in minority communities, there's a high proportion of African-Americans that have used cannabis that were patients that became a pipeline to prison. And that's what we know on the war of drugs, where patients became prisoners. And so he highly advised me to focus on different aspects of my work, but to always be true to myself and authentic is that if I believed in natural medicine to continue to pursue it. So after I graduated from Howard University, I was recruited from actually Colgate Kamala's company. So if you think about toothpaste, but what people don't think about is that the research that goes behind it. I did a lot of research for infectious ailments in the mouth, um, systemically that impact the body. And um, based upon some of my performance there, I was fast-tracked into upper management, but I needed the support necessary. So they paid my education to get a master's in business administration. And I focused on supply chain development, as well as a concentration in operational analysis. 
to make a long story short, I was learned, I was equipped with not only the science, but also the business relationship. And when I finished my MBA, I decided that instead of going back into corporate world, I was going to start my own business, which was going to be in cannabis. And so it took a long, long time to get to that point. Um, Many tears and many setbacks and barriers to my success. But in 2015, I was awarded the first medical license for African-American in the whole nation. And so I was so excited not only to bring uh, medicine to the patients of Washington, D.C., but also to provide them with the education that they needed for specifically their different ailments and conditions. So that's how I got into cannabis. Yeah. And you're really a pioneer in this industry. Tell me a little bit about Women Grow, which is a company that or organization that you're CEO of, and it's sort of dealing with two very, I think, big issues in the industry. One is to give a voice to women in the industry, but also to give a voice to African-American women specifically, right? Talk to me about what you're doing, because we know that, you know, we're at a real crossroads now in this country in general with both of these issues. And what are you doing to sort of, you know, a lot of companies are talking the talk right now. It's very chic to put a Black Lives Matter, you know, banner on your website and say you support it. What are the industry really doing to push forward? Yeah, definitely. So Women Grow has been an imperative platform for women like myself. It is established to connect, educate, empower, and inspire the next generation of women in cannabis and in hemp. And so when I started out in um, learning in my craft what I needed to do in cannabis, what I realized is that I didn't have all the resources. I had the formal education, but what do you do about banking? How do you get an account? How do you work with these little idiosyncrasies that are not common knowledge? And how can you develop that platform? You get a credit card. How do you sell, et cetera? So what I did for myself and why I got involved with Women Grow is that I just didn't have the resources, the connections necessary to be successful in the business. I went to an event. And um, I met a group of amazing women that supported me. They supported my mission. And then I realized how important it was to grow my business, being conscious and having resources. Now, when I say resources, I did not know how to run the dispensary. I understand p and understood forecast, things of that nature based upon my education. But even in my community, People didn't want to share how do you use the POS system, how do you do inventory control. And so we had a network of women across the nation. And literally, I could pick up the phone and call someone in Oregon, and they could tell me how to do things and how it was done. As you know, that legalization on the West Coast was open way before the East Coast. So that was the importance of being a part of that organization. I decided to become a part of um, the ownership structure as well as being operational with it because I wanted to make sure our message still 
was inclusive of everyone and that we provided the support necessary for our community and encourage women and women of color, period, to join us into the cannabis and hemp industry. So when I think about our success and our different events that we have to support women, we focus on accounting, we talk about marketing. More important, we come together and say, how can we help each other leverage each other's businesses. So last year, we every year we have our leadership summit. Due to COVID, we didn't have it this year, but I'm pretty sure next year. And um, our summit really in-houses how to get from seed to sell. So if you're looking to grow a CBD business, if you're looking for a partnership, other people who are in various aspects of cannabis and hemp, they're all there in one place. And they're able to build on each other's relationships. So um, we are currently doing the same, but we do it through our webinar series. So each month we have an expert in the field, a woman who's led the way and pioneered these efforts and to give back her information based upon her learning and understanding of the cannabis industry. By the way, I just have to say that I was the first ever man to appear on a Women Grow Instagram informational conference yesterday. So that was quite an honor. I was like the Susan B. Anthony of Women Grow, the male version. And we love you for that. I mean, <laughs> so we thank encourage you. men to, to participate. And what's important is that even for myself, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, and without my husband supporting my endeavors, there's no way I could be where I am today. So we love our men, in other words. You get the heart. Well, thank you. We love our women. Yes, we're doing the big heart for those who can't see. Well, let's let's say I am a female Black entrepreneur who was looking to get into the cannabis business right now, but doesn't even know where to start. And I do get, I get emails about this sometimes, people saying, you know, who do I talk to? Who do I reach out to? And you're obviously such a mentor and a role model for people. But what, what advice do you give women in that situation? Get, you know, seeing that there might be an opportunity, you know, hearing about all these opportunities in cannabis, but not really knowing how to get into the business. What, where, where do you start? Well, what's interesting is like I literally uh, mentored a young lady earlier today about this. And the first thing I say always is to pivot from where you are. So she was a legal writer. Her degree was in legal communications, and she had a passion for cannabis and wanted to enter the industry. And I said, well, do you know that with that skill set, you can really write some amazing applications to apply for a dispensary? or cultivation center in different states. And I said, if you're not even interested in owning them, if you did right for the application, the first thing is that you could always sell the business um, once you're awarded. But if you wanted to even write for someone else and really sell your skill set. And so application writers are very big right now, very important. But also when you think about internally with compliance and regulations, being a part of operation like myself is that we have to do a lot of communication with our regulators and that having that legal skill set to write is imperative. So we're making sure that we're including all the proper jargon and the idiosyncrasies that comes with the legality of the industry. So that's just one example. But if you're an accountant, 
start by focusing on the 280E, understand how that works, become a master of it, and sell your skill set. So you already usually have the credentials with your CPA. You might have went to college for it. Some people had advanced degrees, but those are credentials that people look like look for in the industry. And having those is a wonderful place to start. Now, I will tell you this. I do have my women and men that say, I want to be a grower. And I'm like, that's wonderful. But if you've never grown anything, first you need to know how to grow. So that is an ambition, but, and it's still possible to go from one career to a whole nother career. But I always say, stay with your passion and be authentic to who you are. I've always been a scientist, a biomedical researcher, and I believed in the business of that. So to be able just to do that and provide medical solution to a healthcare crisis or issue is really authentic to my who I am. So I just really encourage people to stay close to their own passions, to find that segment that can get them into the business and just don't stop. Because in life, we all have our barriers. I have many barriers and I have failed a lot. But what's so good is that I can stand on those lessons and become successful in the future. Yeah, such good points that you make there. Two things I just want to unpack. One is to stick with what your skill set is. I think a lot of people, when they think about getting into cannabis, they kind of just want to, A, they get intimidated because they think, well, I don't really know anything about the business, but you're right. If you you have a skill set, I mean, I think both of us are a testament to that. Like you had this background and you were able to apply that to your new venture in cannabis. I'm similar. I was a journalist. I had no experience in the cannabis industry, and but I was able to leverage that experience as a journalist to, to be able to continue just in the cannabis industry doing what I do well. The other thing you brought up that I think is so important is, is a passion. And you know, we talk about this a lot at Entrepreneur and Green Entrepreneur, that the cannabis industry, more than a lot of industries, you really have to have a passion for what you're doing because it is a hard industry. I can't tell you the amount of entrepreneurs I interview who tell me this is the hardest thing that I have ever done. And I've done a lot of businesses. So if you don't have an underlying sort of passion beyond just, I want to make some money, I think it's so important. So I think you should really check yourself before you wreck yourself, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, check yourself before you get into the business because it's going to be a, a struggle. But I think your passion will win the day, hopefully. I mean, I like to think that it'll get you through it. But the challenges are intimidating and you don't expect them to be as hard when you first start out. And, you know, I say that because even when I wanted to start in the industry, I was very fearful. I mean, just to be honest, I'm a mother of four, and I was very scared to have myself labeled as a leader and know that when I signed a document that I was going to be an operator in cannabis and the owner, that I could be federally prosecuted and possibly never see and be able to touch my children again in the same light. And you have to understand, from my perspective, I started in a time when there was only 10 legalized states. So... It could have went either way. And what I knew that is that if I was going to, if anyone could help a patient, that I had the skill set to do it. I could understand their endocannabinoid system. I could see how dis-ease or a lack of homeostasis in the body can impact them and give them the education that they needed. 
So I knew that I had to be that messenger. But to know that you're risking your own life for someone you don't know and for something that you have children, you have a responsibility. I was fearful. I was scared. Many nights cried even now. I'm a little carry eyed about it because you just don't know what the next step looks like. And that's when your faith kicks in and you're like, I just have to have faith. This is where God wants me to be. And once, you know, you believe in that, you just got to put your blinders on and keep one step after the other. But it it is extremely hard. It is a lot of self-doubt in that. And today I'm just grateful that I didn't give up when I felt like giving up. And I look at my patients and how they have a renewed life. And to know that I have impacted someone's life in a positive way is the reason why I keep doing it. Because I don't know what tomorrow what brings, but I know that I can live with myself knowing I gave everything I had to help someone else have a better life and a better quality of life and sometimes extension of life. So those are real core principles. Did you Have you come up against any sort of systemic barriers as not only as a woman, but as a black woman in the cannabis industry? We like to think that the cannabis industry is very progressive and love and hippy dippy stuff, but you know, the same challenges that face other industries apply to cannabis. And I'd like you to offer some encouragement maybe, or some advice to people of color and maybe women of color who, you know, might come up against some of these, you know, systemic obstacles. You know, it's so interesting. About a year and a half ago, I went to a meeting where Some of the top executives in cannabis were at a fundraiser and I was surprised, you know, that I was invited, but very grateful. And when I entered the room, there was about 30 white men and there was six women. And out of the six women, there were two women of color. And when I entered the room, I kind of made my way to the center area. And one of those gentlemen said, do you mind getting me a glass of water? And I was just, at that moment, you're kind of numb because you're like, I have sacrificed so much to be in a position that you were in and to have that equality just to look at in a subservient way. And so I said, oh, I don't work here, but if you can find out where to get that water, do you mind getting me a glass as well? (laughs) Bravo. Cheers. I love that. So I say that because we haven't progressed, but until we continue to fight our way to be a part of the industry and have those support services, then we won't be included. Now, I would love to tell you this is the only issue, but I can also say there's been pushback from the Black community as well. As I explained before, when you have generations of African-Americans that have been placed in prison and parents that have lost their children to incarceration in private prisons, they're not open to talk about cannabis as much as you want or even to engage them into the cannabis industry. And so a lot of times I've been labeled by my community as a drug dealer, an unfit parent, and someone who wants to get us off into prison. And I have to constantly defunct that and reach my community the best way I can. Women Grow was able in Brooklyn through Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, they gave me the honor to stand in the pulpit 
and to preach my truth as a ministry of cannabis to the congregation and invite them in. And it was the first church that opened up and allowed us to stand on the pulpit to do that. I continue that mission in the Black community. It's bringing a lot of conversation, and I'm grateful for that conversation because otherwise it wouldn't have happened. And I think that incrementally people will understand why am I encouraging them to enter the industry, just like my partnership with the Historically Black College, is that I will be able to educate future generations of African-Americans in an institutional environment and help them understand the benefits of medical cannabis. And that is something that I have fought very hard for and grateful to be a part of. Do you have personal experience with medical cannabis that has made you such a passionate advocate for it? My son has Crohn's disease and I did find him lifeless when he was the age of 16 on my dining room floor. And I realized that it scared me to death. I had before that told him I didn't want him using cannabis because a patient goes to prison in the African-American community. And after that incident where I could have lost my son, I just said, I can't sit here and not try to protect him. And so I helped him back to a place of wellness using cannabis. It was very scary because I have other children in the household. He helped me defunct some of the negative attention that came with a cannabis user. And today he's thriving. Today he's doing very well. And as we know, Crohn's disease is one of those diseases that are pretty much a condition, qualifying condition in most states. And at that time, didn't even recognize the help it could give to a person and more importantly, a child. So I always say you can't put a policy between a mother and a child. And because we're not going to listen, <laughs> we're mothers, we don't do that. And you can see that where we have mothers that take their children to Denver and we call them refugees and they go out there and they treat their children with cannabis. We have those that are still bold enough with um, in illegal states that will treat their children with cannabis. But this is our makeup. As mothers, we want to help our children and a policy is not going to stop us. But that's why we have to work hard for safe access. And that's why I continue to work on that federal level for legalization, on the local level for open access, and then truthfully being able to deliver quality research and scientifically formulate it for the patient. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, it's still, I can see it's still very emotional for you. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's hard. <laughs> I want to end this interview, which I could go on speaking to you for hours, but I, I want to be mindful of your time. Just sort of the best advice that you can give. You've given so much advice already in this interview, but the best advice you can give to entrepreneurs, the best advice you ever got received as an entrepreneur that has really helped you through some tough spots. As an entrepreneur, I know that, well, I think every entrepreneur has read the E-Myth <laughs> and knows that it is a very hard lifestyle. But if I had to give advice is that focus on your core competency. So again, if you want to get in the industry, 
focus on your core competency, but you have to have a viable team to support you. You cannot do this by yourself. I have brought my husband into the industry with me. I have a whole collection of women and people who support my endeavors. You're going to have to be innovative about how you do things. And when I say that is that most people don't have the capital or the funding to do so. You're going to have to find a unique way to be able to fund your businesses, but do not give up. I know that the challenges are hard in this industry. You will be told no 50 times before you're told a yes, but just know that yes is coming because the way people view medical cannabis is changing every day. So please stay focused on your core competencies, work on innovative ways to fund your operations and be consistent, persistent, and don't stop. Well, Dr. Shana Masai, those are great words to end on. If people want to find out more information about you or more about Women Grow, how should they do that? I'm on Instagram constantly and LinkedIn. So Instagram is Dr. Shonda Macias. If you're on LinkedIn, um, again, Shonda Macias. And if you want to reach me out through Women Grow, you can go to our website at womengrow.com and reach out to us directly. But we're here to help those women and the community to get engaged in the industry. Well, thank you, Dr. Shonda Macias. I just realized I mispronounced it a few times, so I apologize for that. You're (laughs) You're just Dr. Shonda to me. Yes, Dr. Shonda Macias, thank you so much for joining us and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. It's a blessing. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.